because of your faith in Christ. Your standing with God is good. You and God are okay. It's not like now you're a Christian, you've got to tick all the boxes. You've got to live a perfect life. You go through life without having a grumpy moment, a bad word, a wrong mistake, or getting it wrong. And suddenly, oh no, God is disappointed with me. He disapproves of me. He doesn't like me anymore. He's kind of low-grade miffed with me. No, it doesn't work like that. You cannot go through the whole of your life, even as a Christian, without messing up, having a grumpy day, kicking the cat. You can't do it. You cannot live a perfect life. That's why Jesus died for you. He died for you because you cannot live this life perfectly, even as a Christian. You can't. And you will never be able to live a perfect life. And that's why Christ has made you right with God, not just forgiven you for your past, but he has clothed you in a righteousness so that the grace of God, the goodness of God, the approval of God, the pleasure of God is upon you continually because of Christ. Therefore, we have been made right with God by faith, and we and God is at peace with us. And that's why Jesus died. Not just for our salvation so we can be forgiven and go to heaven. But for all of our lives and all of our mess ups. And when Paul first began to preach this and teach this. In the book of Romans and throughout the New Testament church. There were people who would say, what are you saying Paul? Should we just go and carry on and live as we please and sin and don't give any thought about how we live before God? And he said, God forbid. No. We don't live as we please because of the grace of God. The fact that we're continually right with God despite of our failings motivates us to live a life fully abandoned to him, his will, and his purpose. It's grace that motivates you. And so the first thing, if you want to learn to live a life of peace, is to know that you are okay with God, or more importantly, God is okay with you. He's okay with you. And it took me a while to really understand this. When I first became a Christian, fired up and all zealous and enthusiastic and just wanted to give my life for God as I still do now, this is clicking about do you want me to put that down and I'll take this one yeah so it's un deux trois there you go it's about much French you're going to get so when I first became a Christian it took me a while to come to terms with this because I the day I, I gave my life to Christ was wonderful and I had the peace of God oh my goodness the peace and the relief of having your sins forgiven and knowing that you're good with God and if you'd have died tonight, you'd go to heaven. And I had a peace that I, wow, I'd never experienced. It was so amazing. But it didn't last long. Why? Because sometimes I would think, oh, am I praying enough? Oh, I shouldn't have thought that thought. I shouldn't have had that bad attitude. I shouldn't have done that thing. 
and you begin to micro-analyze every part of your life and suddenly you find that you are striving to live a perfect life and guilt begins to rob you of peace because you don't understand that God's okay with you now and he doesn't expect you to live a perfect life. He's going to help you learn to walk with him. But you don't understand that when you first become a Christian and you start striving and trying to live right and you question everything. I remember as a young Christian buying a bar of chocolate and think, is this a waste of money? I mean, how absurd is this a waste of money? Should I be not eating what I really love and enjoy and maybe I should be giving it to the work of God, this 30 pence? How ridiculous, as if God can't afford for me to enjoy a bar of chocolate and fund his own work. But you begin to, especially if you want to serve God well and you love God, your brain goes into overload and you sometimes get what we call an oversensitive conscience. And you worry and anxiety and feel guilty about everything. I mean, I remember when I first fell in love with Sarah we began to go out together and then I read a passage of scripture in the Bible. Do you remember this? And it says, if you're single, you are wholly devoted to the Lord. But if you get married, you are, your, your affections are divided because you have to learn how to please your wife. And you're not wholly devoted. And I thought, oh no, oh no, now what do I do? I've fallen in love and I want to get married. And I believe it's God's will for me to get married and marry her. And, but... Does that mean I am not going to be wholly devoted to God? It took me a while to realize that actually God was cool with that. And that uh, marriage is a calling and singleness is a calling. and 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 they're both gifts from God and we're called to one state or the other. But it took me a while for, for me not to feel guilty about that. And so the first thing I want you to understand is this, whether you're a new Christian or whether you're a Christian 50 years, the important foundation for living in peace is to know that God is at peace with you. He is not disappointed with you. Now you may feel disappointed in yourself, but he doesn't. He took you on knowing what you're like. He is not disillusioned with you because he never had any illusions in the first place. When he took you on, and he made you his child, he knew what you were like. He even knows in advance the good works you're going to do, and he knows the bad works you're going to do. And he's got it covered. Because it's not about the direction, not about the perfection of your performance, but it's the direction and the trajectory of your your travel towards God. I'm committed to following Christ imperfectly. There's a wonderful verse in the scripture. Maybe it's on in my notes, but maybe I just should spend more time on this. There's a wonderful verse in scripture that says this. A righteous man will stumble seven times, but he will never fall. So what happens is you, a righteous person, may slip and stumble seven times, but the Lord will never allow him to completely fall. He knows we're going to stumble along the journey but thank God since we have been made right with God in his sight by faith we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done isn't that awesome because of our faith Christ has brought us into a place of undeserved privilege 
where we now stand. And we therefore can confidently look forward to the future and share in God's glory. If you really want to live in peace, the first stepping stone is to understand that God is at peace with you through Christ because of your faith permanently. And the more you understand that, the more motivated you will be to live a total, abandoned, obedient life for him. Your future is secure. Heaven is our destiny. And to be like Christ is our certainty. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into undeserved privilege and we are confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing in God's glory. What does that mean, sharing in God's glory? God's glory is his nature. It's the essence of who he is. It's who he is, the essence of him. And what God did when he, when you became a Christian, he ordained you to ultimately and eventually completely be like Jesus in your character. Same personality, individual and unique. But your character is like Christ. So let's look at the next verse. For those God foreknew, he also predestined, some long words here, to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. What does that say? For those God foreknew, you gave your life to Jesus Christ by choice, your choice. It was a free will choice. The Bible says, whosoever believes upon the name of the Lord shall be said, whosoever, you're a whosoever. And by your free choice, you chose to put your faith in Christ. But, clever God, There's something about the nature of God, and it's called omniscience, big word, but basically it means all-knowing, all-knowing. It's what makes God God. He knows stuff. He knows the the past, he knows the present, he knows the future. He knew, because he's God, that you would freely put your faith in him. He foreknew what you were going to do in advance. He knew the time. He knew the date. He knew how it was going to happen. He knew the moment. He knew it. And because he foreknew it, he says, those who God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. So he has now ordained you, because of your faith in Christ, to be like Jesus. That is God's certain plan for you. You are in the process of becoming more and more like Jesus. And one day, you will be completely like him. Can I have the next verse? Therefore, we can say this. And this is a reason we can have peace. I'm confident, says Paul, of this very thing. That he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. He started, the day you gave your life to Christ, he started a good work in you. And he's going to continue it and never stop until Jesus returns. And in that time between now and his return, he's going to begin to work everything to make you more and more like him. 
And when he returns, he's going to finish the job and speed it up, and you're going to be completely like him. So you can live in peace that God is not going to stop working in you. Oh, but what about that thing I said, that thing I did? Or what about the things I haven't done? I haven't read my Bible. I haven't prayed enough. I haven't done this enough. I haven't, I haven't, I haven't, I haven't. What, what about that? I'm confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on unto completion. He will not stop working in your life. He's committed to something and he will finish it. Next slide, please. So we can also say, building on this theme, that God is okay with us. Therefore, he, is going, he has ordained us to become like his son. Therefore, he's going to continue working on our lives regardlessly. So we don't have to worry. Chill. Chill. God's in working in your life and he's not going to stop. And you're not going to stop him. You are not going to stop him. The devil is not going to stop him. Circumstances not going to stop him. Brexit, no Brexit. Deal, no deal. It's not going to stop him. Nothing is going to stop him. Because he's your child. And he is predestined. Ooh, predestined. Very strong word. Predestined. Ordained. Sovereign God has determined that you will be like Jesus. That's it. Done deal. And because of that, he is not going to stop working in your life. And because of that, we can say that we know, therefore, that all things, in all things, God works for good for those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. All things. Yeah, but what about the bad things? No, all things. What about the times that I've sinned? No, all things. What are the times when I've really disobeyed God? No, all things. What are the times when I've just made an innocent mistake? Oh, no, all things. What are the times when other people have messed up the plans of God that I think and get in the way and say no and it doesn't work? No, all things. All things. You see, the thing about God, and he's not a human being, is that he can even make bad stuff, circumstance, the enemy's activity, our own mistakes, our own sins, work out for your benefit. Think of Joseph. Think how God did it for Joseph. Joseph, you're going to be the president of the most powerful nation in the world, and even your mum and your dad and your brothers are going to bow down before you one day. He told his brothers, foolishly, that was a mistake. Hey, I'm the latest kid on the block. Big Ed Joseph. Foolishly, in his youthful presumption and arrogance, he told his brothers that I'm going to rule over you. In his disrespect to his parents, he says, hey, mum and dad, one day you're going to bow at my feet. <laughs> How cool is that? I mean, he's, he's really not going about this in the best way. And not surprisingly, his brothers already didn't like him. Now they really had the hump, and they decided to kill him. They sold him into slavery, so they sinned. They got in the way. His arrogance messed it up, and he, he went into slavery in Egypt. And you track through the whole story of his life, 
And at the end of it, when his brothers are trembling before him because now he's been promoted to president of the, next to the king of the most highest, most powerful nation in the world, they're trembling before him because they think, oh my goodness, this man's going to kill him, that, that this man's now going to kill us, the brothers, because we have sinned and sought to murder and sold him into slavery. He says, don't worry. What you meant for evil, God meant for good or turned out for good. He even makes sin his slave. He even makes your worst mistake. As you continue to love him, wipe yourself down, dust it down, get up again, have another go, carry on. Don't walk away, but walk towards. Keep moving forward in the purpose of God. As you continue to love him and continue in the direction of your heart to work out the purposes for which he's called for you, he will take your worst moment and make it the most glorious working of God to make you like Christ so you fulfill your purposes. Think of David. Think of David. Oh my goodness me. How did he really mess up? When he was at war, he was basically going AWOL, staying at home. He says, when the king, time when kings go to war, David stayed at home. So he wasn't doing what he should be. He should have been defending Israel. Rather, he was at home watching Netflix. And then he got bored because it's very difficult to get a decent film on Netflix these days, isn't it? And he went and looked over the balcony, and, and there was a very beautiful woman bathing. And he said to his one attendant, oh, fetch her towards me. So they, they, Bathsheba came to David, and he slept with her, and he committed adultery. She was married, he was married, committed adultery. She got pregnant. She got pregnant. Then how was he going to cover this? Well, he cut a long story short, he arranged for Bathsheba's husband to be murdered in battle, basically, in a nutshell. Not a good day for David. He covered it up for about a year and a half, and he was exposed by Nathan the prophet, who exposed it, and he admitted his guilt and sin. So he'd murdered, he was deceitful, he committed adultery, and he wasn't doing what God called him to do when he should be doing it. Really messed up. I find it astonishing that the great, 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 great grandmother of Jesus Christ was Bathsheba. How amazing is God? Does that mess with your head? Seriously? Does it mess with your head? Mess with my head? Because my head's tiny. But God is great. Wasn't that funny? <laughs> so the point is that all things work together for the good. Peter's denial. Satan, oh, he, he, Satan, has, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. But when you're restored, strengthen your brothers. Peter denied Jesus. The apostle of Christ denied Jesus. But through that denial, God worked a work in him that he never, ever failed him again and was able to strengthen his brothers because of the pain, the disappointment, the brokenness, the humbling, the despair, the self-loathing, the regret he must have gone through. Oh, no, I've blown it now. How can, how can, oh, I mean, what he must have, gone through but the very first time Jesus 
commissioned somebody to preach the gospel, which was a woman after the resurrection at the grave. He said to Mary, go and tell Peter. Go and, he said, go and tell Peter I'm risen. Now, if that would be me or you, I said, go and tell the other disciples, but don't tell Peter. He really let me down when I needed him. Really. No, go and tell Peter. And in that moment, Peter learned something about the compassion, the goodness, the love, the peace of God. That God's okay with you, Peter, because of what I've done. Get back on track. All things work together for the good, for those who love the Lord and accord called according to his purpose. There's a few areas in my life over the years I've really had to, and Sarah and myself together, had to really learn to grow in peace. That may be common to you too. One, I had to learn to grow into peace, to know that actually nobody can live this life perfectly, but because of Christ, God's okay with me. God's okay with you. Secondly, God called us, has always caused us to live a life of faith, and we've had to trust God for our finances, isn't we? And the first thing that God said to me, abandon yourself to me and I will meet your needs. And the part of our ministry has been a pioneering ministry. When you're in a pioneering ministry, you've got to trust your God with your finances because you start with nothing. So in everything we've done, we've started with nothing. In Cornerstone Church, started with 35 pounds. That was it. And, and there were times, as Sarah said, in that 28 years that we're celebrating today, when we couldn't eat every day. I'm so, see, when you're going through it, you think, God, you, you said you'd provide for me. But I, I, can't, I can't eat and pay my bills. So we would pay our bills, feed the children, and we wouldn't eat. So we would turn into a fast. We did 21 days, 30 days fasting. We never went into debt. I remember Sarah coming up on one occasion I said, I've had enough of this. Remember this? It was really hard. Everybody's going for their Sunday lunches and we got nothing. I remember our Christmas meal, wasn't it? We had turkey pizza. That was it, turkey pizza for Christmas lunch. I said, I've had enough of this. It's really hard. And I said, Sarah, have you got air in your lungs? One of my more pastoral moments. Have you got air in your lungs? Yeah. Are we ill because of this? No. Are our kids suffering because of it? No. Do we still have enough energy and strength for the ministry and to do what God's called us to do? Yes. Are we in debt? No. Then God's provided. He's only teaching us not to rely on four, three square meals a day and be accustomed to Western comfort. And also, he is building our faith. Because we never went into debt. And whenever we needed something, we really, really needed it. It always came through. Always came through. Always. And our children never suffered. And the work continued. And it was through the times of poverty that we actually learned the faithfulness of God and we developed our faith to trust him for finances. No struggle, no chance to develop the muscle of faith. All things working together. So that we're able to keep moving forward in our life and in the ministry, even to build the building that you're sitting in. This would not have happened if we hadn't gone through that poverty because we wouldn't have been able to trust God and build the muscle of our faith. So we had to trust God. You've got to trust God for your own peace. You've got to trust God for your finances. I had to trust God before I met Sarah for, for a wife. There was somebody I thought, oh, I might like to try going out with her. 
but I just didn't feel it was, God hadn't spoken. God, I didn't feel it was right. And so I remember one prayer meeting, sacrificing what I wanted to do. And then a man stood up immediately after I made that decision, and he stood up, and he said, Julian, he didn't even know why I was praying. He said, Julian, God will bless you because you've chosen to wait. Had to trust God. And then I met Mrs. Richards over there. I'm so glad I waited. I had to trust God to wait for my relationship. I have to trust God. Some of you have got to trust God. Hasn't happened yet. You might be waiting a long time. You might think you've got to trust God. Trust him. Trust him. And you say, oh, maybe I've been called to singleness. And I, I, can tell you, I can tell you if you've been called to singleness in one second. This is it. If you say, oh, maybe I've been called to singleness, I hope not. Then you haven't. Because the singleness is a gift. And gifts are good and you want them. Yeah? Gifts are, you have grace and desire for singleness. Paul says, I would like everybody to be like me. He, he wanted to be single. If you don't want to be single, it means that there's a grace of God for you, for a relationship, for your future. Okay? So stop worrying about it. Relationships, finance, peace with God. I had to trust God for our kids because we were pioneering. There was no kids in the church who were pioneering apart from Amanda and your little ones, wasn't it? It wasn't a very big church. Didn't have all the facilities. They didn't have what they want. They couldn't have Nike trainers or branded all their friends. You know, <laughs> we just didn't have the money for it. We didn't, you know, it was very, very challenging. And they went, the kids went without. So I remember the birthday present, first birthday present I think we bought for Rachel was a, a nail brush, wasn't it? little hippo nail brush. Didn't know what, what it was. It was just a little hippo. Oh, no, didn't have fancy presents. Didn't have a television for ages. I mean, seriously, did not have a television for ages. Friends went on holiday once, and they said, oh, you, you can borrow our TV and our videos, because we couldn't afford a license. So we just watched TV no license, uh, with videos. Until uh, we went out one day, and somebody came and stole it in our house, burgled it, because our house was burgled 17 times. And I thought, wait, will this affect the kids? No. They love the Lord. They're doing great. Trust God for your kids. Trust God for your finance. Trust God for your relationships. Trust God with your peace with God. Trust God with your health. You know, uh, one of the biggest challenges is that, um, okay, it's all very well knowing that you're going to fly back in a plane that's designed to work. But when I stood seven years ago, uh, now, yeah, just under seven years ago in the doctor's surgery, he said, sorry to tell you, Mr. Richard, has cancer. You've got to trust God for your future. And I had to call to mind all the promises that God had said to me about my future that were from him, that had been tested and I knew they were from him so that I knew I would not die through this thing. And there were times I had to call it to mind to continue to walk in peace. Call to mind, I had a word from God that I would be like a, like a, like a not a father, but like a father to my grandchildren. So there was something that, that the anointing and the DNA and what God had worked in my life that God wanted to, is, wants to deposit in my grandchildren. Well, they're not my kids aren't even married yet. There's things about what God's going to do in Wales and the nations that God has told me about that haven't come to pass yet. So the word that I said to this woman on the plane, I 
this plane will not crash because I will not die because there's unfulfilled promises. That was, that was easier than standing or sitting in the seat with a consultant telling you you got cancer. But this principle applied. I had to call it to mind. And now I've got all, all clear and I don't expect to come back and they don't expect it to come back and it's not going to come back. And I will not die until I've fulfilled everything God wants me to fill. And, I want, and there's times when we need to call to mind the promises and the purposes of God because he is in control of our destiny. And as we do this, we begin to walk in peace. So I'm going to give you some practical things and then I'm going to close. And it is real quick. This is what we have to, to do this, we have to practice peace and do what Jeremiah did. Next verse. Look, let's read it and I'll just hit the headlines. My soul is is downcast within me. So it could be anxiety, it could be fear, it could be worry. But there's something that's not calibrated right and his peace is robbed. And he's speaking this from the book of Lamentations and it was a dreadful time in Israel's history. My soul is downcast within me. But this is what he do. Yet this I call to mind. Whoa, there you go. That's what you have to do. In that moment, call this to mind. Therefore, I have hope. And because, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to, my, I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. So here's the principle. He was aware of his condition. The first thing you need to know is, oh, my soul is cast down. You have to to be self-aware. You've got to know when you're moving into anxiety or into fear and your peace is being robbed. You've You've got to be very aware of it and then act quickly. It's easier to stop a small stone rather than something that's really caught up some, you know, some movement. Stop it quick. You, can, you can't stop the birds flying over your head, but you can stop them making a nest in your hair. Worries will come in, but you don't want them to settle there and, and to camp and create a little home. Be self-aware, stop it quickly, and then call to mind God and his ways. I have peace with God. God is at peace with me. God is faithful. If it's a financial thing, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. He's a father. Don't worry. Aren't the sparrows clothed? Yes, they are. Aren't the lilies clothed? Yes, you're more valuable. Thank you, God. Don't worry. What has God said over your life? What has God determined? If you feel, oh, I'm not doing very well. Oh, is God going to distance himself from me? Is the purposes and the blessings of God going to walk away from me? What has God said? I am confident of this very thing, that he will continue to work in me. Oh, yeah, but what about that thing? That, you know, that, 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 that thing that messed it up. What about that thing? I know that all things work together for the good. For those who love the Lord. Love him, continue to love him, and get back on his purposes. And think of David, and think of Joseph. Because he can make your worst moment your greatest trophy. He's astonishing. Call, recall to mind the ways of God, the purposes of God, the word of God. Call it to mind. The compassion of God. He loves you, he's compassionate. And this, his mercies 
are new every morning. Every morning. Basically, it's every moment, every second of the day. His mercy streams towards you. His compassion, his tenderness is for you every moment. There's not a blip second of the day that God isn't tender and merciful and compassionate towards you. In your worst moment, he is merciful and compassionate towards you. Call it to mind. He is my portion. What does that mean? He's your inheritance. He is your inheritance. He has gifted himself to you. He belongs to you. This is a contract, an inheritance. When you get an inheritance, that's basically what he is my portion. He's my inheritance. Inheritance is a contract, a legal contract. He says, this is yours by right because you are a son and daughter. And God has gifted himself to you. He has contracted that he will belong to you. In the, in the Solomon, Song of Songs, he says, I am my beloved's and my beloved's is mine. When I married Sarah, I gave myself to you. I belong to you and you belong to me. We belong to each other legally. That's it. Done deal. That's it. God has entered a contractual covenant relationship with you that he has not just said, I'm your God. He has given himself to you and you belong to him. Uh-oh. That's a, that's, a good, that's a good peace. That's a good thing. That'll give you peace in the morning. Therefore, Jeremiah says, I wait for him to act. Why? Because he's for you, not against you. And nothing can separate him and his love from you. Demons, circumstances, life, death, angels, hell itself. Human beings, nothing you can say or do or anybody else can separate you from the love of God, Christ. And then it goes on to say, therefore, because he's giving us Christ, will he not give us all things? Will he not give us all things? So, in conclusion... You have every reason to grow in peace. And as you begin to look at these stepping stones and practice them and cultivate them in your life, you will grow in peace so that the things that really begin to get under your skin, everybody has vulnerabilities. We've all got little areas of vulnerabilities. But you will begin to grow in peace so that there will be a resilient, a resilient serenity of Christ in you, so that in this world where trouble comes and difficulties come, and it will come, because Jesus says, in this world you will have trouble, but nevertheless, do not let your hearts be troubled. You will have trouble, but don't let your hearts be troubled. You'll find as you practice these things and grow in peace, you'll find a resilience of peace that will cause you to sleep in the storm. And I want to encourage you to grow in peace because it's your gift. That's why Paul says to me, every letter he writes, grace and peace be to you from the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's a gift, but with every gift of God, we mature and grow in it. And that's, if you want to ever look at a model, look at Christ, who was just so serene in the most challenging of circumstances. And that peace belongs to you. Let's pray.
Father, I want to thank you for the gift of peace. But we know how it can be robbed by our own thoughts, circumstances, even the enemy. But we pray that you'll help us to grow in peace as the children of God. That nothing will rob us and that we may be able to enjoy the blessings of grace rather than strive to hold on to them. Bless us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.